Alright, we are back. Let's continue where we left off. Which I believe was at that interface of politics and science. Scary story from last week. It was noted that what millions of students may read about science and history in their textbooks may have hinged upon the Republican primary in Texas last week. Because there were seats in the State Board of Education up for grabs, and they make the decisions on the content of the textbooks sold nationwide. There is apparently a conservative Christian bloc that controls the 15-member board. Apparently incumbent Ken Mercer retained his seat. I believe this was the the same guy that said that we have to uh, teach uh, these students about the conservative movement of the 80s and 90s in the textbooks. Remember this guy? He's calling his victory a clear-cut sign to elitist groups who viewed the race as a chance to purge the board of some of its most far-right members. I guess in Texas, an elitist is... One of them college professor types. As opposed to a kid who was born next to the president of Yale, whose dad was a congressman, who was skull and bones at Yale, and later got an MBA at Harvard. Later got helped out in business by daddy's friends. Ran for Texas governor and later president, where people had to contribute $200,000 to be in the Pioneer Club. That guy, he's not an elitist. Ah, but again, I digress. be worth mentioning that the opinions you hear on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. Then again, we did hear that some of our opinions were being kicked around at the water cooler at the last meeting of the regents. But we're not sure about the source on that one, so we have our doubts. And speaking of doubts, how's this for a segue? We're talking about uh, trying to instill doubts about global warming and doubts about whether tobacco's bad for you. We love uh, this item from the trial of Radovan Karadzic. He's being tried for genocide. Apparently his trial over in Europe took a break, but he's back now, and the former Bosnian-Serb leader is revealing a new defense strategy, which is, it's all lies. He's dismissing the well-documented massacres of Muslim civilians during the Bosnian Civil War as myths. Karadzic says Bosnian Muslims killed their own people in Sarajevo, then blamed it on the Serbs to draw NATO into the conflict on the Muslim side. Very plausible defense, don't you think? That defense has been described as probably a tough sell. Anyway, on a happier note, we want to give an attaboy to uh, Stuart Leavenworth and the B, the Sacramento Bee's editorial board. Last Sunday's paper noted uh, on the reading rack, which was suggested reading from the Bee's editorial board, uh, New Scientist magazine, a source from which we quote liberally on this program. The Bee noted that... Uh, excellent article about the Earth's nine lives in the March 5th edition is worth a look. Noted the B, the article by the magazine's senior environmental correspondent Fred Pierce examines the status of nine planetary life support systems deemed vital for human survival. Noted that some of these you know, they're close to home, such as fresh water and wildlife diversity. Some are more obscure, such as carbonic acid in the oceans. They noted that some, like climate change, have received loads of attention, and others, such as the buildup of aerosol particles in the atmosphere, are less studies, and as a result, their threat level is less clear. And uh, I really want to compliment uh, Mr. Leavenworth for noting that the magazine's cover includes a secondary headline, Why the Planet is Healthier Than You Think, 
that was catchy thing to put on the title, but is not reflective of the bottom line in the article. The article notes that the risk of ozone depletion has diminished thanks to international efforts, but uh, the threat does remain, and the planet's a long way from exhausting its supply of fresh water, assuming you consider 50 years to be the distant future. And the article notes, as we've noted on this show, that thanks to chemical fertilizers and human sewage, the planet's releasing more nitrogen into the land and water than the systems can safely process. Pierce concluded that uh, three of the nine boundaries, climate change, biodiversity, and nitrogen fixation, have been exceeded. But the B noted that the one ray of hope is the international effort to protect the ozone layer, which of course included uh, the reduction in our use of chlorinated fluorocarbons. The ozone layer does appear to be gradually healing, and uh, according to Mr. Pierce, at least it shows that action is possible and can be successful. Stuart Leavenworth also had a recent column talking about how gerrymandered districts can hurt certain cities. I must say, in preparation to interviewing uh, Dan Lundgren over at Capital Public Radio, I took a look at his third uh, congressional district, and uh, uh, it looks like a lobster. Starts at the Nevada border, comes down through various uh, foothill towns, and actually goes extends north of Davis toward Woodland, it looks like. Very bizarre. They're trying to reform this with a panel that will take uh, the drawing of the lines out of the hands of politicians. We've applauded this on this program. We wish them great success. And, you know, if I had more time, I'd probably volunteer to be one of the people that helps draw the lines. But I don't have the time, so I won't. Not that they wouldn't necessarily hand me a pen. But uh, we also finally want to compliment Mr. Leavenworth for his uh, recent column on uh, the return of Jerry Brown. In fact, uh, they... The editorial board asked for some suggestions for a, a, a motto for Jerry's return and presented a sampling of some readers' suggestions. And, and, and they, they, there's probably an ongoing uh, blog where you can suggest your own Jerry Brown campaign slogan at www.sacb.com swarm. Among the B's editorial board suggestions were a retread we can believe in and Fighting for California even before Cheap Trick was a band. And uh, Back to the Future with Brown. We liked the reader suggestions even more, which included vote for Jerry because inexperience obviously hasn't been working. Also, remember, I gave you the bird. The B did have to step in on some of the slogans, though. They felt that it was pushing the boundaries of good taste to suggest... If it's brown, flush it down. Anyway, Jerry Brown is definitely back, and we, we hope we can score an interview. That'd be an interview in quotes with uh, the gubernatorial candidate. Well, a lot of people are pretty disgusted with the gridlock in Washington and in Sacramento, and I was quite uh, taken by an article a couple months ago in McLean's Magazine by Andrew Coyne, who said... The real work of governing is done by the Prime Minister and the Cabinet. The legislature's votes and the government's proposed laws are always along party lines anyway. So really, all we would need is for party leaders to vote, and we'd be done. Adding, I'm not talking about doing away with elections. With Parliament abolished, we'd just vote for a party instead of individuals, and the party that won the most votes would form the government. We would save millions of dollars a year, and and untold numbers of bureaucratic man-hours, and we get just as much accomplished as we do now. We're pretty sure he was kidding. Speaking of domestic gridlock, how about this column by E.J. Dion? 
Writing a couple months back uh, during all the publicity over these Tea Party uh, movements and rallies, Mr. Dion wrote the following. In June 2008, before the financial implosions that would come a few months later, I asked two financiers who happened to be Republicans about the future of the seemingly shaky American economy. Defying the moment's conventional predictions that we would somehow muddle through, one of them offered a dire and uncannily accurate forecast. He said banks would blow up, investments would crash, and the federal government would have to spend at least $300 billion to bail out financial institutions. The other financial expert listened closely, took a sip from his drink, and smiled. This, he said, would seem to be an excellent time for the Democrats to take power. He had no liking for the Democrats' policies. He just wanted the other side in charge when things came tumbling down. Wrote E.J. Dion. I've often thought of that exchange while watching President Barack Obama and the Democrats struggle with the country's understandably cantankerous mood. Although the economy hit the skids on President George W. Bush's watch, it's the party in office that suffers the consequences when things really get bad. Underlying so much of the self-assured political analysis pouring forth in our multimedia world is a debate over the reasons for the decline of Obama's popularity from the heights of last spring. Conservatives blame it all on liberalism, wrote E.J. Dion. I lean toward a second explanation, and I wish that my conservative friends would be as honest as the Republican investor was in acknowledging that presiding over bad times always hurts the party stuck with the job. He also said he found it striking that most conservatives, through a method that might be called the audacity of audacity, have acted as if absolutely nothing went wrong with their economic theories. They act as if they had nothing to do with the large deficits they now bemoan and say, we will all be saved if we will only return to the policies that should already be discredited. Well, we think E.J. E. Dion got that one right. Regarding these Tea Party uh, groups, The Economist magazine believes that the, the Tea Party is precisely what its supporters say it is. It's not an artificial astroturf creation of the Republican Party, but a genuine grassroots movement highly decentralized and composed of many people who have not participated in politics before. They have no agreed platform and no unified national organization. Well, we have no doubt that the Tea Party uh, movement's attracting a lot of disparate groups and a lot of people with various uh, political inklings, but we think The Economist is naive. We think there's a lot of conservative Republican money going into the Tea Party movement, which would explain why it is that, uh, you know, their, their poster girl was Sarah Palin. The question you have to ask is, how is it that when the Bush administration comes up with seven or eight hundred billion dollars to help uh, Goldman Sachs and Wall Street, nobody said a word? When Obama proposes spending a similar amount to get the economy jump-started, these guys are going ape. Writing in Time magazine, Peter Beinhart so that during the Clinton presidency, the GOP figured out how to paralyze government through demagogic rhetoric, polarization, and frequent filibusters. They're doubling down on the sabotage during Obama's young presidency, abusing the arcane filibuster rule to block 80% of major Democratic legislation. This strategy is wildly irresponsible, but it's politically effective. When nothing gets done, people turn against the government, giving a big boost to the party out of power. Of course, the Republicans aren't the only ones that uh, are obstructionist. Apparently, Harry Reid has put uh, the final nail in the coffin of Yucca Mountain as a nuclear waste repository. 
That program got put on hold last year after a decade of local opposition. And uh, the U.S. has finally said, well, we're, we're, we're just not going to use Yucca Mountain. And I'm sure Harry Reid had everything to do with it. Our nuclear waste is now going to be stored above ground uh, wherever it's produced. And that'll be the case for the foreseeable future. We've taken the position on this program that any future that does not include nuclear power as at least a partial solution to global warming is unrealistic. Two articles in New Scientist worth citing, both from the March 6th issue. First, from the little uh, blurb called Insight, noted that uh, it seems obvious if you're planning a new generation of nuclear power stations that you, should in- that you should invest in the most advanced and efficient designs available. Yet, that's not what seems to be happening in the United States. Noting that President Obama has committed $8.3 billion to, uh, to jumpstart uh, nuclear power, notes that these reactors they're going to build differ only slightly from plants built in the U.S. in the 1970s. Meanwhile, Russia, China, and Japan are backing Generation 4 reactors, which include uh, high-temperature gas reactors and the fast reactors we talked to uh, uh, Tom Bleese about on this program last year. I can see we're going to have to bring Tom Bleese back and perhaps Gwyneth, Gwyneth Cravens who also wrote a book about nuclear power we think uh, is worth reading. But in the opinion piece of New Scientist, uh, they note that uh, a possibility that may help us all involves a hybrid reactor of fission and fusion. And I got to say, the physics uh, and engineering of how you can use a fission reactor to make a hybrid uh, fusion reactor is still a bit of a mystery to us, but uh, we're going to look into that and talk about it in future installments of this program. But at present, there are 104 nuclear power plants in the United States. They supply us with 20% of our energy. And uh, don't get us wrong, we're all in favor of, uh, of wind power and solar power. But it uh, must be noted that the environmental costs of, of both of those are, are considerable. As reported previously on this show, those whirling blades, such as the ones you see up on Altamont Pass, are uh, pretty much wreaking havoc with the local bird and bat populations. And if you're going to build uh, solar collectors out in the desert, that's going to have a negative impact on the wildlife, too. So, uh, anyway, nuclear power needs another look. We know there are some of you out there who take the viewpoint that uh, if nuclear power is the answer, it must have been a stupid question. But we can't agree with you. All right, joining us now in the program is an old pal of mine, someone I've known, I don't know, God, 20 years by now and more, a fellow physician and radio host who is making his first, and I'm, I'm sure will not be his last appearance on Radio Parallax. Welcome, uh, Dr. David Schneider. Thank you very much. How are you doing? We're, I'm doing well. And uh, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, independent of one another, we've sort of traded in our uh, stethoscopes for microphones, haven't we? So it seems, <laughs> and I think for a good cause. Tell us a little bit about your background. You've been, you've been operating on, on, uh, on a station in Santa Rosa for a while, and now you're on the web. Correct. I've been live and recorded on several stations in the Santa Rosa area in Sonoma County. And I'm also recently actually started an Internet-based radio program through Blog Talk Radio. And, and why don't you give it a plug? www.blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Dave S. That's D-R-D-A-V-E-S. Dr. Dave being my moniker for something in the range of seven or eight years on the air, and in fact, ever since we worked together way back then, 20-plus years ago. 
But I won't say any more because I don't want to give away any of your secrets. That's good. That's good. Well, Dr. Dave, I, I know you, uh, unlike us, uh, really emphasize medicine. What a concept. And, and I know it's crazy, you, I know, huh? <laughs> it's a crazy idea. But you uh, recently talked on one of your uh, programs about this new study on atrazine. And it probably worth taking three minutes to talk about uh, what those findings are because they're quite provocative. They are quite provocative. And what they found is actually not that huge a surprise. As it turns out, this herbicide atrazine is one of the most commonly used pesticides all over the world. And we've actually known for years, since at least 2002, there were some studies showing that atrazine is what we call an endocrine disruptor. Now, what this means is that when exposed to this drug, animals, in particular, they've actually studied frogs, have changes in their glandular system, the endocrine system. And this new study that was actually just uh, published last week found that even in concentrations detectable in our environment at usual concentrations, atrazine does this amazing transformation with frogs. What happens is they took male frogs, They exposed them to this chemical atrazine, and they found that the male frogs turned into female frogs. Now, as if that isn't stunning enough, the female frogs were then able to mate with male frogs and lay eggs. But I guess they produced only males because there was only males mating with males. Exactly. All the eggs turned out to be males. So this is... I think this is remarkable and not in a good way. What this is telling us is that this chemical out there and many, many others of the tens of thousands of chemicals that are out there are affecting us and are affecting our ecosystems. Now, you may say, ah, you know, it turns frogs from males into females. It's not going to do that to people. Well, true, but if it has this power in the hormonal system in frogs, then how could it possibly be any good for <laughs> women, children, and yes, even adults like you and me. And I use the word adult in our case liberally. <laughs> well, the EPA looked at it back in 2007. They weren't sure it, it, it caused problems, but this latest study I, I gathered by Tyrone Hayes at UC Berkeley is, I guess, making them take a second look. I certainly hope so, because when they looked at it before, They even looked at some of this evidence that was out there, or supposedly they should have looked at some of the evidence, because there's been studies even by this same guy, Dr. Hayes, and several other people, as I said, that have been out there for years showing that this is an endocrine disruptor and clearly unsafe. My hope is that with a new administration that is maybe going to put more emphasis on true science than we saw in the previous administration, that we will actually see some kind of limitations in the use of this potentially devastating chemical. Well, there was an article, I think, in one of Science News. It went into some detail about this. Our listeners may want to check that out. And, um, and we probably should talk about this, you and I, and, and some other medical stuff uh, in future installments. That sounds great. I'm always up for it. And if the listeners want to check me out, you can actually go, as I said, to the page for my radio show, which is www.blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Dave S, D-R-D-A-V-E-S. And if you like, I encourage you to visit my 
To Your Health with Dr. Dave Schneider Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook, search for To Your Health with Dr. Dave. It should come right up. There will be a picture of me, and you can check out the page, check out a show. You can listen to archived shows if you like. You can listen to my live shows. You can find out what's been on, what's coming on, and uh, become a fan if you're so inclined. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sure a few of our listeners will do exactly that. Dr. Dave, it's, it's been a while, and it's good to talk to you, and I think, uh, you know, let, let's do doing this on a semi-regular basis. That's a deal. Let's talk later, and thank you for listening. All righty. 